I think theology is for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Theology. Theology. Unplugged. All right, welcome to Theology Unplugged. I'm Michael Patton, and we're coming to you in all kinds of places, I think. I actually think it's working this time, so you may be seeing us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can even get us, if you're if you're one of our Patreon members, you can go to the Discord server and have a chat there. So we're coming to you on Discord. One of these days, once we get enough support, I'll buy the, upper, the, the uh, improved version of Restream, and then I'll embed that on the Patreon page, and we'll have an after-class discussion just for the Patreon members. So uh, that would be really, really great. I'm excited about being able to do that. Uh, we're talking today about something very unplugged. I think this is the essence of what Theology Unplugged is about. This is Theology Unplugged. Uh, well, by the way, welcome Spotify users. Everybody, don't forget to subscribe. But this is the essence of what we're about. This may be a little bit unhinged for a lot of you guys. And this is this is somewhat easy for me to talk about because it's nothing too new with regard to what the way I've taught for 20 years, 25 years. But it is one of the most controversial things that I can bring up among Christians, among evangelicals, especially especially among conservative Christians, maybe of the Bible church variety or something like that, people that, um, uh, well, we'll talk about it here, but um, we're gonna, the subject is doctrinal legalism, understanding doctrinal legalism. And I want to tell a story about this, about doctrinal legalism, and uh, just a really good illustration, I think, at least it was for me in my life to understand it more and understand where I was at, and uh, very, very poignant toward, where'd that come from? Very poignant toward uh, the subject that we're talking about here today. So uh, I used to, whenever I was at Dallas Theological Seminary, I used to go out and, and evangelize on uh, Tuesdays, I believe it was. Um, and it was called the DTSE team. I actually started this, the DTS evangelism team. And I'd put a call out to people and have a brown bag lunch about it and get everybody invited or have it announced at chapel. And we would all meet and go out together some morning to the bus station and evangelize. And beforehand, we'd usually have about 10, 15, 20 minutes of just teaching and encouragement for people in prayer about evangelism. And I wasn't assuming just because I was at seminary, we knew, we all knew how to evangelize. Now, of course, I started this whole thing, so I really thought I did. And I'm, I'm not saying I didn't, but um, it, we, we were all we were all very green in this these areas. Um, and so a lot of people didn't even know how to share the gospels. People in seminary didn't know how to share the gospel, and so we'd teach them how to share the gospel. And it's not only that we would teach them how to share the gospel, but we told, taught them a particular method of sharing the gospel. And you may have heard this, and this may date you and date me, but it's called it was called Evangelism Explosion. Anybody heard of Evangelism Explosion? Evangelism Explosion was by D. James Kennedy, and he was out from Florida, 
and uh, he put together this method of sharing the gospel, and this is the method that we used. And I really like the method. I still like the method, even though I'm going to seem critical of it because of what I say here, but it really is I'm a critical of the assumptions that I had while using this method, and most people fairly, I mean, uh, uh, fair to what I'm saying and the criticism, uh, most people do have this this uh, thought or this attitude about uh, the evangelism explosion, what it, it does. But basically, evangelism explosion was based upon this question that you would ask people. Great question, still a great question. But you would start and you'd go through this method. You'd come up to, we, we would go out to the bus station because that was the best place for us to find people who would listen. I mean, it's very important for us to be sensitive and and shrewd in our presentation of the gospel. We didn't go, uh, you know, knock on doors in Highland Park and, you know, say, hey, can I come in and share the gospel? It just was that that wasn't the culture for it. You have to do the share the gospel in different ways according to the culture that you're in. You find this illustrated over and over again in the scripture from going to the synagogues and doing the things with the way the synagogues do it or going to Mars Hill and doing things the way the Greeks did it. The apostles followed a methodology uh, and we're sensitive to the audience and the culture. Well, we went out to the streets and I believe in street evangelism so long as you're going to the right people and you're doing it the right way. And I still do. We go to the bus station and the reason why people at the bus station were easy to talk to about the gospel was because they were normally people who were more down and out. And that type of person is much easier to share the gospel with because they're usually... There's self-evident in their life that they need help, they need hope, and that there's something lacking uh, to them. People who are in the Highland Park and very uh, well-off and affluent, many times they don't see their need because they feel self-sufficient. And so that's not the right place, the right method to go about uh, sharing them with the gospel. We would go to people at the bus station as they're waiting for the bus, and uh, we'd ask this question, are you interested in spiritual things? And uh, whether they said yes or no, we would ask them the next question. But uh, they, most of them would say, yeah, I'm interested in spiritual things. I'd say, okay, uh, if you were to die today, this is the crux of, the, of evangelism explosion. If you were to die today and you were standing before God and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? You see, good question. I mean, it is a good question. It really is a good evaluative question. And uh, most people, most people would get it wrong in the sense that I was looking for at the time. They would uh, usually say, "Well, I, I don't know what I would say," you know. And I'd say, "I gotcha. I got to tell you the gospel." Then that's my cue is to ask you and say, uh, you know, the next question may be, "How sure are you you're going to heaven on a scale of one to a hundred? Uh, are you a hundred percent sure? Are you ten percent sure? How sure are you?" And most people wouldn't be sure. They wouldn't be a hundred percent sure. It's very rare to get somebody that was a hundred percent sure. The idea was if they said it right. If uh, God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven, what would you say? If they were to get it right, and this is right, you would say, I don't have any hope of getting into heaven outside of your son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, the reason why you should let me into heaven is because of what he did for me on the cross, and I have trusted in him. That is the gospel. That's the truth. Hopefully, we get to that point where we can answer that in such a way. And hopefully, the next question we can answer as well. 
How sure are you he would let you in? How sure are you you're going to heaven? Hopefully you would be able to say 100% sure. Now, most of the time people would say, I, I don't know what I would say if God asked me that. I really don't. Or I would say, a lot of them really said, I mean, it's, it's really, whenever people are honest and authentic with themselves and not believers, they, they will say something like, he shouldn't let me in. I mean, that, that's a good question. That's a good answer from somebody who hasn't trusted in Christ because they know themselves. People, people you, you know yourself better than anybody else knows you. And we are con, uh, uh, confounded, confused by our own selves many times. We don't, we don't know ourselves that well, but we know ourselves better than anybody else. We know our heart. We know what we're thinking. We know the, the sins. We know the past. We know the future we know of our lives, the hopes that we have and the past that we've gone through. We know what we've hidden away in closets and what we're scared of, what, we're, what we've done wrong, those secret sins. We know everything about ourselves in that sense. And so we have thoughts about ourselves. And most people, if you're honest with yourself, outside of Christ, you would say, I'm not going to get in. Now, some people would say, well, I'm pretty sure he'll let me in. You know, I'd say, well, why? They say, because I've done more good things than bad things. You know, hopefully I've tried to live my life in such a way that was true to him. Uh, many people would say that. Very rarely did I get somebody that got the answer right, perfectly right. Very, very rarely. From my perspective at the time, if you did not get that answer perfectly correct and you were not 100% sure that you were going to heaven, you weren't going to heaven. I mean, that was a sign you have not heard the gospel yet. And that, I, I look at that back now and I think that attitude, it's a good question. Both of the questions are great, but the attitude of my thoughts about the people was completely wrong, completely off base, was uh, something that... Uh, evidence, something deep within me that was messed up. Now, I'll get back to that maybe in just a moment, but let me uh, define a term called legalism, because that's what we're talking about. Legalism, you may have heard it as Phariseeism or Pharisees, but legalism is generally, ta it's talked about in the Bible, it's a theme in the Bible, but legalism is when somebody believes that your works contribute or uh, make up your salvation. If you're saved by works, that's legalism. If you're saved by the things you do, that's legalism. And we can be various levels of legalism. Sometimes you are a full-on legalist, maybe. Like the person who says, my good works outweigh my bad works. That's the only reason God will let me in. That's legalism. Or you would say, uh, maybe the, you'd be a little bit different. You would say, well, you know, most of the things that uh, uh, I have done, I think, that are good and bad, and there's that scale, but also I've trusted in Christ. You know, so I've trusted in Christ plus my works. That's kind of a different level of legalism, but it's still legalism. You're still trusting in your works to some degree to get you to heaven. If you, if you answered, I am not sure I'm going to heaven, what if somebody, listen to this, this is a great illustration, and there were people that would do this. They would get the first question right. I would say he shouldn't let me in, but I've trusted in Jesus Christ, and he's my only hope. That's a great answer, right? And then the next question goes further, though. Uh, you don't stop. Even if somebody gets it right there, you don't go, okay, I'm going to go on to the next person. You know, you're good because I want to know how sure you are you're going to heaven. Not just what you would say to God, but how sure you are that answer is right. So two separate questions, two evaluations. 
And so if you got the first question right, you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, or you're just trusting in Christ for your salvation, and then you said, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, though. I'm only 99% sure. I'm only 50% sure. There were some people who got the question right and say, man, I am not sure I'm going to heaven at all, you know? And so that would display some degree of uncertainty about the truths which they said before about Christ, or it would add to that works. I'm not sure because, like I said, I've done some bad things. So um, many people will take this, and you have legalism that is set in. The opposite of legalism is understanding grace alone, that grace alone saves you, that your works have nothing to do with your salvation, that what is said in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and so many other places in the Scripture, especially in the New Testament, uh, um, articulates this the best. But so many places in the Scripture, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not of works. It is a gift of God, not of works, that any man, so that any man will not be able to boast. I mean, that, that is the greatest news right there, that it is not of works. Because if it is of works, then I'm scared. I'm not sure about it. Um, I do not have works that, is, that uh, is something that I want to contribute because they're not perfect even in their goodness. Even in the good things I do, I don't know how much bad motivation is is uh, involved there. Uh, so you have these questions that are, or excuse me, you have legalism that basically says, uh, uh, works contribute to my salvation to some degree. That's, that's legalism, outside works. And that, again, that is wrong. That's not good. I mean, I, Roman Catholics believe in legalism. Uh, or believe in uh, works-based salvation, that you have to trust in Christ plus good works. So they are more legalistic to some degree. The Pharisees in the in the Bible were legalist. Uh, they believed in their works to get to salva- uh, get saved. That, that determined their status before God. So that is legalism. But there's also something, or l- let me give you some illustrations of legalism. You know, today you have legalism shown in many ways. I mean, whether it's, uh, this guy, one time I was having lunch with him, and we were talking about this other guy that was doing so many great things for God. And, you know, as we were talking about him, I could tell this guy w- was irritated by the other guy for some reason. The other guy was, you know, he, w- he was preaching the gospel. He was uh, in school with us, going through being trained. He was really smart. Everything about him shined. And then he, the guy sitting across from me, as we were evaluating this other guy, he goes, you know that guy's not saved, don't you? I said, What? I said, what do you mean he's not saved? He says, yeah, he smokes. And I, mean, I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, he did, He smoked. And then at that moment, that very moment, I thought to myself, maybe you're not saved. <laughs> because you believe that somebody has to believe or uh, that you, uh, you know, it's just convoluted. Um, he didn't believe, he was a legalist. And then I was a legalist about his legalism, the way he believed. So, and we'll get to that in a minute because that's really what we're talking about. That's the uh, the central issue of my thesis here. But you know, people talking about uh, so another thing that I, I had a conversation with the other day. This is on Facebook, and we were um, going back and forth about some guy as well. It was within the thread of one of the uh, Facebook posts that I made, and it had something to do with church <coughs> and the importance of going to church. 
And this one guy, you know, believed that there was uh, there was a person that did not go to church, but did believe in Christ and did believe in everything else. Uh, but they just didn't go to church, and they had their reasons. And you, I didn't know their reasons, but uh, or he didn't know their reasons, but I did, and I understood why they were kind of broken from the church. There was a past of abuse within the church. There was a lack of trust, trust in an institution. So they did not go to church on Sunday morning. And this guy automatically said, "Well, that person's not saved." And I said, "Wait a minute, you're saying you have to go to church in order to be saved?" And he, and he basically, you know, he danced around it and in the end said, no, I'm not saying you have to go to church to be saved, but if you are saved, no matter what, you will be in church or you're not saved. I was like, wait, what's the difference? I don't understand that, you know? I mean, it, it, was he not really saved at the beginning? That's the only thing I could think of. You're not really saved because you show that you're not really saved later on by not going to church. But it's still a form of legalism. Um, some people believe that in order to be saved, you have to be baptized. Again, another work you have to add to your salvation. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. But so many people add things to salvation. It's a typical thing. It's very easy for us to be legalist. Uh, There's two types of people in the world, people who drift into legalism or people who drift into licentiousness. That works don't matter at all. And it's very hard as we, as we try to navigate that middle. And usually we're wrestling with things a lot more in that. It's, not, we're not, it's less comfortable in the middle, but it is more right because uh, we're, we're wrestling with that. We're not giving up on the importance of works for our, sal- our sanctification, but we are holding fast to the belief that works do not contribute to your salvation. Another form of legalism, and some of you all are going to get really mad at me, <laughs> Yeah, is uh, lordship salvation. I believe lordship salvation presents works in a disguised form to the gospel for salvation, even though they may dance around things and articulate it differently, kind of like this guy did. But at the end, it's still the same. Lordship salvation people basically say this, that whenever you become a Christian, you have to turn from all of your sins. And I mean, that is... If anything is legalistic, to me, that is. Because that is an impossible task. You're asking somebody who is outside of Christ and who is just coming into the new birth and just starting sanctification, just starting to try to be a Christian, to follow Christ. You're saying you have to give up everything? And they're like, well, give it up all known sins. I'm like, that's a lot. <laughs> For a lot of us, that's a whole lot. I don't know. I mean, unless you're saved as a little baby, then then you're okay afterwards. You can sin afterwards because you'll you'll ask people who are lordship salvation. You'll say, "Wait, so you're saying that you you have to give up all sins forever in order to be saved?" They say, "No, no, no. I I know that people after they get saved sin a lot, but whenever the moment you get saved, you have to turn from all of those sins." Repentance means turning away from them and stopping them. And I do not believe that that's what it means. It, I mean, that would just be impossible. It, you, you'd be at complete transformation immediately that is uh, so deep and so sanctified that it, it just doesn't make any sense to me why people do that. But that is a form of legalism as well. Now... I want to talk about this other form of legalism, and I'm going to talk about this by starting with an, a story 
Another story. When I was at the Credo House, um, as some of you guys know, I had a coffee shop, a theological coffee shop. And this theological coffee shop, we had baristas, you know, 15 to 20 employees at one time. It was great. I mean, the Credo House was amazing. Those of you who have been there know what I'm talking about. It was, it was my favorite place on the planet Earth. Uh, hopefully one day we'll be able to get one of those back, but I d- didn't do well for 10 years, so, you know, getting into the pain pills, and I've never been really good with uh, the the fundraising and the planning. If I can teach and I can, my mind just goes in one direction, and I'm, I'm good at what I do, but that, they, those are the things, and I can come up with ideas like the Credo House, but it's very hard for me to run them and to, to keep them going, uh, and the, like I said, the pain pills had a lot to do. Someday, maybe I'll be able to get that back. That's not the subject, though. Uh, but while I was at the Credos, I had a barista. And for my barista, my baristas were the people who made coffees, right? And we trained them, and they'd go through and, you know, be able to make all the little... I never could make the art. I really, I could froth really well. I could make an incredible tasting latte, but it never looked that good. I, I always told everybody I had abstract art. I was an abstract artist. Whenever It's your interpretation. It's a subjective reader response interpretation whenever you're looking at the cup and trying to figure out what it is. <laughs> That's what I would do. But um, they were trained really well in making coffees, but also I wanted them to be able to represent the Creed House, represent Christ, and be able to see this as a ministry. And so I had to have some type of criteria for them whenever they would come in. And my criteria was that, number one, you had to be a Christian, okay? I didn't hire non-Christians for that because of the purpose of it. It's like you want to hire a non-Christian pastor. So I didn't hire non-Christians. And I also said you had to start going through the theology program and try to make it through that. The theology program is our central program that helps people work through the doctrinal issues. But I had one guy... And this was the only guy that fell into this category <clears throat> the entire time I was there, but he was from the Church of Christ. That's not the category that was he was unique in. I mean, maybe he was. I don't know if I had any other Church of Christ people. But um, he was from Church of Christ. And I believe I was fine with him being from Church of Christ. I mean, I disagree with Church of Christ and, you know, they're they're kind of unique tenets of you have to be baptized in order to be saved. Um uh, no, no instruments in church. Um, no traditions. You know, their their tradition is no tradition but the Bible. Even though that's a tradition, they they don't want to have any traditions. They just want to hold to the scripture, which is honorable. I'm not saying anything wrong with that. It's understandable. It's wrong, but it's understandable. Um, but I didn't agree with that stuff, right? But I said, listen, all you have to do is is you can work here. You can even tell people about your belief. But you have to tell people this doesn't represent the Credo House, and one of your goals is to get them to go through the theology program so that I can help them work through these issues. Uh, you can discuss it all you want with them, and I'd love for you to, but just don't misrepresent us. Don't I don't want some underhanded stuff of you know people trying to convert people to their 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 form and and run off. I wanted it to be pure evangelical, pull pure open and grace, and uh, you know centered around Christ and then liberty and these other things. Well, he was there with us, and he was one of our best employees. And I love the guy; I really did. He was an incredible a barista, but he was just a kind soul and just tender. And there was so much about him to love. 
but he was really struggling in wrestling, especially while he was at Credo House because he was hearing me teach. And a lot of the things that I was teaching didn't comport with what he had grown up in very well. I mean, not a lot of things, but, you know, I, I teach from church history. I encourage, encourage people to do that. And I certainly don't teach, uh, you know, that instruments, you can't have instruments in church. And, and uh, uh, I, don't, I don't teach that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. And that's the thing that usually always gets Church of Christ people. Those other two things are pretty important, uh, especially the singing. It kind of goes, the most important is baptism, second is singing, third is the tradition. No tradition but the Bible. Well, I was uh, he was working through baptism and uh, my view of baptism and what he really believed about it. And I think he was around 17 years old, so he was at a time where he was for- starting to form his beliefs on his own. So he was in a real wrestling match. I love the guy. Um, and you know, was with him every step of the way, talking to him, helping him try to work through these things. And it became real contentious because his father, uh, was, was a real hardcore traditional old line church of Christ. A lot of the newer churches of Christ, uh, like this church of Christ I'm at by called new hope right on the street. I, I teach at, or I've taught at so, so many times they are incredible and they don't hold to these things in this way. So I don't want to misrepresent the church of Christ in general. It's just kind of old line church of Christ. Um, and his dad was one and he, the old line church of Christ, here's what you got to understand is they, they, they were legalistic. He said, they would say, wait a minute, we weren't legalistic. We didn't believe that, uh, you know, that much about, uh, all the any sins would send you to hell. We're not lordship salvation type people. They may have said all that, uh, but in the end, they did believe in baptismal regeneration. Uh, and here's here's the problem. I told him. I said, "Listen, I do not believe in baptismal regeneration. The belief that you have to be baptized in order to be saved." He was uncomfortable with that. I said, "I do not believe that. In that, you're going to have to figure out whether you can still work here." Because that's what he was working through. I said, I th- say you can still work here, even though you believe differently in that area. You just have to follow those rules. That's fine. But he was really uncomfortable with because he didn't know whether he should work for me. And I was trying to figure out why he was so uncomfortable about it. Uh, you know, we just disagreed about this. What is? What are you? What are you implying by this? And it came down to a question after a few weeks, and we were talking late one night. On the phone, uh, I think he had to work the next day, and we were trying to figure out whether he was going to come in. He was making his final decision, and the guy was, like I said, he was he was really wrestling with this. I love the guy. He was he was very genuine. He was trying to do the right thing. He was trying to follow his conscience. So i I was trying to encourage him in that, but at the same time, you know, put him. I said, here's here's what it comes down to. And I'll, I don't know, I'll call him uh, uh, Jason. Uh, that wasn't his name, but I'll call him Jason. Here's what it comes down to, Jason. You're going to have to decide this, whether or not you believe that since I don't believe in baptismal regeneration, I don't agree with you there, since I don't agree with you there, am I saved in your worldview? Because I did not want him, this kind of, kind of became a new criteria. I didn't want, did not want him 
working for me, believing at the same time that I was not saved, and therefore everybody else wasn't either because they weren't Church of Christ. So trying to kind of convert everybody based upon that. I didn't want to want that. I I just didn't feel right about it. I didn't I, I wasn't saying he wasn't a Christian because of that. That's important to note. I was not saying since he believed I wasn't saved for not believing in baptismal regeneration. I know it gets convoluted. Um, I was not saying he was not saved. Uh, I, I do believe he was. I think he was very genuine. We talked for a lot of times about Christ. I just think this was something he was very messed up in. But he came to the conclusion that night, and it was really, really hard for him to say. And I asked him straight out. I said, and I remember this, I remember everything about this moment because it was so hard for him and hard for me because I love the guy. But he, uh, I said, you have to decide this right now. Do you believe right now, do you, are you at the point where you believe that I am not saved because I do not agree with you about baptism or regeneration? And what I'm asking is, do you have to, do I have to, because I'm already baptized. That's the deal. I'm already baptized. I'm safe. I should be safe from your perspective, but it doesn't seem like I am safe. It's not baptism alone that I have to add to my faith. It's belief in baptismal regeneration that you're saying I have to add to my faith. And as hard as it was for him to say it, he said, I said, do you believe I'm saved? And he said, no, I don't. I'm so sorry. He was really like that, very genuine. And I said, okay, um, that is fine. You know, you can call me anytime. You know, we kind of parted ways. Never talked to him again. But I, I hope he didn't keep on going in the direction that he was going because he was going very, very legalistic, not only from the standpoint of a normal legalist adding works to your salvation, but a doctrinal legalist, believing that you had to have the right doctrine in order to be saved. And that's the question that I have right now. Number one, are you a doctrinal legalist? like this. It's what you're going to have to ask yourself. Are you a doctrinal legalist? You may say, I'm not a legalist, but are you a doctrinal legalist? And that's the question you have to ask is, what say, does doctrine save you? And some of you may have read it first, it may be the first time you've heard this question, and you say, well, yeah, of course it does. Salvation by faith alone is a doctrine. And I, I ask again, does that save you? Is that what saves you? Is your belief in salvation by faith alone? It, it, but uh, I mean, you, you got to really think deeply about this. I mean, does that doctrine save you, or is it Christ, what he did, that saves you? And the doctrine comes later on. Does the doctrine of salvation by faith alone save you? Does the doctrine of, uh, you know, all the things that you put together in your theology, is that what saves you? Or is that just what you come to later on in your life? And whenever you get saved, or in order to be saved, a criteria, it doesn't have to do with doctrine. It has to do with the person. Now, think of it this way. This, here's here's a, the greatest illustration in the Bible of legalism. <clears throat> but you have the, the, the uh, parable of the Pharisee and the publican are taxed together. The Pharisees, the person who everybody thought was good and great and religious of the day, he was kind of the pastor of the day, and then the 
tax together was kind of the, the worst of the worst type person, the prostitute of the day. I mean, they had prostitutes as well. They could have very easily had it, the Pharisee and the prostitute. But you have uh, Jesus Thomas Storm, and he said, one, uh, two men to go to the temple. One of them goes before God, the tax gatherer, and beats on his chest, crying before God. You know, he's he's tearing himself apart, beating on his chest, saying, have mercy upon me, the sinner. Not looking up to heaven, looking down, just has no pride whatsoever, is completely broken before God and comes to God in the hopes, in the back of his mind, maybe if I go to the temple, maybe if I just ask, God will save me. I mean, it's such a such a humble thing this guy did in so many ways from the standpoint of him understanding himself and the brokenness he is and then the humility that you have from a doctrinal standpoint. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what God's going to do. So he says, have mercy upon me, the sinner. That's how he viewed himself as the sinner, not a, a sinner. And the reason why he did that is because that's how we should all view ourselves as the sinner. You know why? Uh, not because you're necessarily worse than the next person or I'm worse than you, not not that issue, but you know yourself better than anybody else and you know the deep down in your heart things. You know what you've done. And so you, because you know yourself so well and you don't know other people that well, you know how bad of a sinner you are. So you, you're probably going to think of yourself as the sinner. And whenever you're looking at other people like the Pharisee did who looked down and he's the next person in the story and said, man, God, Looked up to heaven. I'm so glad I'm not like this guy over there who does all of these sins, but I do just the opposite. And I do all these great things. And he gives a list of the sins he does and all the great things he does. And um, Christ afterwards, after he gave these two people, he said, which one do you think left the temple? The temple was the church of the day in Jerusalem. Which one of them, uh, when they left the temple, was justified before God. And you know who it turned out to be? Of course, you know who I'm going to say. It's the tax gatherer, the prostitute type person, that one that that had done all these bad things. Why? Because because he was broken and contrite in heart. The greatest thing we come to with God is our brokenness, our humility, our helplessness. The hardest thing that keeps us from God at every moment, even before before our salvation and even today, is our pride. We like to think we're something we're not. We like to build ourselves up. We do not understand how far we have fallen in this world of brokenness. And so God is, God is looking for contrite hearts. Um, but the thing is that you have to ask yourself, the, the other, the Pharisee wasn't saved, or at least you know, he wasn't said to be saved. But the greatest shock is that the publican was saved to people. He was, he was justified before God. Now, what you have to ask is a very important question that I think will help us in this issue of doctrinal legalism. Let me try to tag this with this question. That's, uh, maybe I've already asked it, but it's very similar to the one I just asked in the story about the guy at the Credo House. Does faith alone save you? You may say, yes, of course, Michael. Well, does 
A person have to believe in salvation by faith alone in order to be saved. You scratch your head for a minute. Maybe you'll be able to figure out what I said. But does faith alone save you? Yes. But do you have to believe that? What if I don't believe faith alone saves people? Can faith alone save me? Because you automatically kind of think in the back of your mind that in order for faith alone to work on you, you have to believe that it works. You get what I'm saying? I mean, this is so important. It's going to affect the way you view so many things and so many people. If you go one direction, you're going to, you're the circle of who, who can be really be saved is going to get a lot tighter. Um, and I, I would accuse you at that point of becoming much, much more legalistic. Do you have to believe that faith alone saves you? And then I go back to this. Well, wait a minute. The guy, the, the, the tax gatherer at the temple was beating his chest and saying, have mercy on me, the sinner. That is the greatest story because of the, the ambiguity of so many questions that we would have around that. Um, but the ambiguity is basically this. All the guy did was come before God and beg for forgiveness, but he left there, and it, he had no idea whether he was forgiven. He, le- he probably came back the next day and did the same thing. Always contrite, always scared before God, but yet all at the same time, always justified. Uh, the moment he came before God that first time, he was justified forever. But, you know, he, he didn't know it. And so did that guy believe in salvation by faith alone outside of works? No, because the guy keeps on coming back talk, uh, talking about how I'm the sinner, and begging God to forgive him. And if he's doing that, then in some sense, he does not believe in salvation by faith alone. He believes that his works are contributing to his salvation. And it's the same thing with us. If you're sitting here listening to this, you've been a Christian, even you have, you have what I believe to be good doctrine, salvation by faith alone, you have had doubts of your salvation as well. I ask people this in my class all the time. I'll ask for raised hands, and it's almost always an evangelical audience and usually somewhat astute from, the, from an intellectual standpoint, from a theological standpoint. And I'll say, how many people here have ever doubted their salvation since they've been justified, since they believed in Christ? Every hand goes up. I mean, I rarely would even see one not go up. <clears throat> and then I'd say, okay, why have you doubted your salvation? They all give various reasons, you know, but it always had to do with something they've done or their actions. Um... Uh, or almost always. And I'd say, okay, if if you've doubted it, did you really believe that it was salvation by faith alone in the first place? And, you know, that's part of the process that I go through in this class. And I say, not only ha- how many people have doubted in their life, you know, since they've been saved, but how many of you all have doubted in the last year? You know, uh, 75% of the hands go up. How many of you all have doubted in the last week? And you still have, you know, uh, 10, 20% of the hands go up. And, and I wouldn't turn to that 10, 20% and say, okay, gotcha. You know, my new evangelism explosion, you're not saved. You are not a hundred percent certain you are going to go to heaven. So therefore, let me give you the gospel so that you can get saved. That's not the idea. Uh, the idea is we all have our unassurance and many times our unassurance becomes because we, not because we don't believe in salvation by faith alone, but we're not really sure about it. So we don't believe it completely. 
You see what I'm saying? We think maybe in the back of our mind, our work, our, our works do have something to do with salvation. You know, the person who, who runs off and has never been baptized his entire life, it's like, man, I got to, you know, I'm getting close to death. I got to hurry up and get baptized. Not because it's an act of obedience, not because I want to do it for all the right reasons, but just in case it, it, it saves you, uh, then I need to be baptized. And so that's kind of the idea. We, we oftentimes, almost all of us don't believe completely in salvation by faith alone. Not really. Uh, and then we become also doctrinal legalists in this area. We believe, <coughs> we believe and confess in salvation by faith alone, but we also many times confess that you have to believe in salvation by faith alone to be saved. If you are less than 100% sure that you're saved, then you're not going to heaven. If you're less than 100% sure you are saved, then you're trusting in your works to some degree and therefore don't believe in salvation by faith alone. And the biggest group that this applies to in the Christian world is Roman Catholics. Uh, and the question, this always comes up whenever you're talking about, is our Roman Catholic saved? Now, that's, that's such a bad question, are Roman Catholics saved? I have no clue. I mean, people ask me that. I know what they're saying. It's more like, can they be saved? Um, or if you're a real true Roman Catholic, are you saved? But it, the, the better, the better question is, you know, uh, cause I, I would answer it this way. So you say, are Roman Catholics saved? I say, I don't know. I mean, they can be saved for sure. Do they trust in Christ? That's the issue. Have they trusted in Christ? Tell me about your experience with Christ. What do you think of Christ? So I'd say, yes, they can be saved and some of them aren't saved. But it's the same thing I would say about Baptists or Presbyterians or any group. If you say, are Baptists saved? I'd say, well, if they trust in Christ, they are. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not the doctrines, all the doctrines that make up your denomination or your tradition that saves you. It's Christ. Christ is the center. And what do you do with Christ? He's not a doctrine. He is a person. Whenever you get saved, you get saved at a moment in time. And then you're not a theologian in that moment of time. You're just, you just hear the gospel and you're like the publican, the tax gatherer who comes before him and you hear the gospel and you say, that's me. Please have mercy on me. You know, whenever people are talking about the sinfulness and the brokenness of man, you say, that's me. What should I do? What can I, it's the jailer that, uh, you know, turned to, turned to the apostles and said, what must I do to be saved? And they said, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. The idea is to turn from your view of Christ. It all has to do with Christ. The, your, Christ is the center Turn from your view of Christ and believe in him from what you thought about him before. Uh, or your, your confidence in yourself that you had before. It's, it's not a doctrine we're putting before people. And so doctrinal legalists come in and, and they'll real easily say about, say, Roman Catholics say they cannot be saved. And I'd say, well, sure they can be saved as long as they trusted in Christ. You're, you're getting the issues all confounded. Christ is not the center of your faith whenever, whenever, you, can, whenever you push things like that. It's not your center of your theology. <clears throat> and we're all messed up. We, we're, none of us are doctrinally perfect, and we're all wrestling with things. And you get saved in a moment of time without thinking about it, without becoming a theologian. And as one person said, I got saved in a moment of time. 
And I spent the rest of my life trying to figure out what happened in that moment. I mean, think about that. I, I, I heard that a long time ago. Mark Hitchcock said that I, 25, 30 years ago, and that has never left because it's so true. You get saved in a moment in time, and then you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out what happened in that moment. You're building your theology. But your theology is not saving you. It's Christ that saved you. It's, it's whenever you, what you did with him in that moment, whenever you turned to him, whenever you were contrite of heart, whenever you repented. But it is not your doctrine that saves you. And so the, big, the question again, here it is, I'm going to finish here. But the question again is, um, can you, do you have to believe in salvation by faith alone in order to be saved? I say absolutely not. That's a doctrine. It is true, and I, I, will, I will tell you about it all day long. If you're not 100% sure of your salvation, I will do my best as a Christian to encourage you. And if, I, if I'm talking to you and I say, hey, you're, you are a Christian, therefore you should be 100% sure because you did trust in Christ. I will encourage you in that way, just like I hope you would encourage me in times whenever I'm broken and I'm doubting and I'm trusting in other things, whatever it may be. We, we all don't live out our faith perfectly and do not have perfect doctrine. It is Christ that does it. It's a historical person. It is the God-man who came. He's the creator. He's your creator, and he saved you, and a person saves you, not doctrine. So... I do not believe you have to believe in salvation by faith alone to be saved, just like I don't think that guy should have believed that you have to believe. And I just don't think he should have believed in baptismal regeneration. And I don't believe that he should have believed that you have to believe in baptismal regeneration in order to be saved. But I hope it's given you something to think about because we can very easily, especially whenever we get excited about theology, love theology, talk theology all the time, become very doctrinally legalistic. And this this expands not only to these key issues that I've been talking about here today, but you see this from Arminians whenever they think of Calvinists. I see this all the time, bitterness from Arminians, real bitterness about Calvinists. I mean, just anger, very, very hardline anger towards Calvinists. And then I see a demeaning attitude of Calvinists towards Arminians. <clears throat> And, you know, just looking down upon them, the kind of this pride type thing to where they're, they're too good for them. So it's, it's a terrible thing. And it, sometimes in the back of your mind, not only are you treating people bad because they're not like you, which is bad enough, but many people, you actually don't think they're saved because they do not hold to a particular doctrine about whether or not God sovereignly elected people, uh, unconditionally elected people, or conditionally elected people. I know some for some of you, you have no clue what I'm talking about here with Calvinism and Arminianism and stuff like that. I'm sorry to throw that out, but there's particular people in my audience that do know what I'm talking about and probably hits home with them. But I think you need to consider and ask yourself once again, are you a doctrinal legalist? That's the question. Are you a doctrinal legalist? Is theology, is studying theology making you a doctrinal legalist? And here's what I'd say. It's better off for you not to study theology. Stick with the simplicity of what happened to you at the beginning. Because if you start becoming a doctrinal legalist, and it gets hardcore, and it does for many people, it is very damaging to your faith. And I'm Again, it's not you're not going to be saved. It's just that you're not going to live out your life in the way that Christ wants you to. You will not... You will not be able to focus upon him and humility. Humility is the greatest thing that you can possibly have. Humility and doctrine as well. 
Uh, and that means, you know, epistemic humility. We're not sure about this stuff. I believe it very strongly that what I'm saying here today is correct, that you do not have to believe that salvation by faith alone saves you. But at the same time, I'm not 100% positive. I can be wrong. That kind of attitude we've got to keep with us, and we don't, we don't let build up in our heart this, this, this pride and exclusivism to the point where we really are, you know, there's nobody that can be saved but us and our little small band of Christians. So don't, don't be a legalist, but also for my context and for my people, make sure you're not a doctrinal legalist. Thank you all for showing up. I hope this one went through. Like I said, I recorded one earlier for 45 minutes. And then after I was done, I saw that it only started recording about halfway through. So hopefully this one did work. And if it did, and if you are with us, please subscribe wherever you're at. Follow wherever you're at. Uh, Spotify or YouTube or Facebook, wherever it is. And also, please uh, you know, I really do need your support on Patreon. That's how I make a living. I'm about a th- about twelve to fifteen hundred dollars behind uh, on being fully supported right now, and I would love to get that taken care of. You can go all the way from three dollars. It's not much. Three dollars a month. That's what you can join as, or you can go all the way up to a thousand dollars a month. That would be great. But please become a Patreon member. We have special exclusive things for you. You'll see them all there. Go to patreon.com forward slash C Michael Patton, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash C Michael Patton. You can find me at C Michael Patton just about anywhere and everywhere. Theology 